Good morning. Good morning. All right. I know all the energy left with the kids, but we can still be awake. It's all right. It's all right. Um, so real quick, um, for those of you who don't know me, like Dave said, my name is Adam. I'm actually the campus pastor in the Dryden location, and I know most of you, but it is good to be here. It's good seeing everybody, and I'm kind of echoey, but that's okay. All right, so we're talking about awakening faith. So our central idea around this is that awakening faith is an invitation, okay? It's an invitation to become fully alive and experience the restoration and transformation that Jesus offers. This idea, this theme is built around John 20, 31, which says, but these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. So Pastor Dave defined faith um, in, the, in the first message as to follow him, to align with him, interact with him, trust him, and hope in him. Week one, Pastor Dave talked about seeing heaven open and how following Jesus enables us to see heaven open. Um, week two, Pastor Dave talked about weddings and funerals and how Jesus is present in the best and worst moments of our lives. Last week, I'm sure you all remember Pastor Dwayne's great message on faith conversations and how they are more, they're about more than just listening. So this week, we're going to talk about resting in his timing. So, um, so for those of you who do not know, um, I used to be a child. Um, I, think, I think we all share that in common. Um, when I was a child, I, um, I had a certain, as most children do, I had a certain perception of time and how it worked. Okay, um, so for me as a child, I commuted to school from Groton to Cortland. So the drive from Groton to Cortland was not, didn't seem very long to me. It was pretty quick. You know, time moved along nicely. Um, but um, I went to church in Groton, and we lived two streets away from the church, two streets of a small town. So it's not very far. That walk from church to home was not so quick. That felt like it took way longer than it should have. But as a child, sometimes we, we think things take longer than they should. Um, I was reminded of this this last week with my 10-year-old son. Um, but we'll talk about him in a moment. We'll talk about myself first. <laughs> so when I was about 8-ish, 8 to 10-ish, um, my brother, older brother and I had a really, really good idea. Who knows that the good ideas of eight and 10-year-olds are really solid, really solid. So we had this idea, this, this, this inspiration to build a glider, okay? Now, gliders are cool. Um, and so we built a glider, not like a, a glider for us to like throw around or launch. It was really a glider for us to ride in, right? Good idea. So. First off, we were, we, were very, we were convinced that we could um, construct this glider in about a day, roughly, functioning. And uh, we decided to use the best construction materials we could find, which was cardboard, wood glue, and masking tape. You know, I mean, this thing was destined for greatness. So we're building this, and then, so we had this nice little timeline that we're gonna build it, in about a day, we gave ourselves a day and a half in case we had any issues. And then we were going to load it with stuffed animals, okay? The, the stuffed animals were 
so that we could test the weight of it. And then we're gonna launch it off our roof at the house to make sure it worked before we tested it because we were the ones that are gonna be riding in it. Not individually, but together. We were going to, <laughs> so the plan was that we were gonna load ourselves into this glider, launch ourselves off our roof, it was only one story, so that's not too bad. Um, launch ourselves off the roof and glide throughout town. <laughs> going on various adventures. Because for an eight-year-old, it's like, okay, I could see where they come up with it. My brother was 11, so no excuses. But um, <laughs> um, I don't remember the exact details on how our plan was um, kiboshed, but it was. Parents found out, and they're like, yeah, no, um, no, that's not going to work. They're like, I'm going to give you about couple more hours to finish it, and then we're going to tear it down. So my son reminded me of this same kind of concept of, you know, idea of how things work and how timing of events work. Um, so this last week, he, when I came home from work, he asked me that if he and two of his friends could have a play date from school. And I was like, sure, why not? We do the whole play date thing because we have kids. Um, so I was like, yeah, yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll work on that conversation with the parents, and then we'll figure out what works, and we'll have a play date. Um, and he was like, okay, great. The night moves on, maybe an hour and a half later, roughly. He comes back to me and says, okay, when are we going doing the play date? I was like, why, why do you want to know? He's like, oh, because my friends and I, we were talking, and we already figured out what date works for us. <laughs> and it's going to be like this Saturday, like it was soon. I was like, oh, okay, so let me tell you, um, it's not gonna be this Saturday. It's not gonna be probably for a couple of weeks. We're gonna have to push it out a little bit because we, we have a lot of things going on in our home and then we have to coordinate various schedules. I was like, it's not gonna work out. And he goes, okay, goes away in defeat. Comes back, walks through later and he's just visually upset. And I was like, what's going on? He's like, I feel like it's never gonna happen. I'm like, okay, we have gone from excitement and asking about a, a play date all the way to despair over it never happening in the span of like two hours. Um, and Ben is, is a deep feeler. He feels very passionately about things, and he's an emotionally in-touch child, so he is like crying. <laughs> and I was like, so I had to take time to explain to him, like, hey, we have multiple schedules working on. We have stuff that's happening in our house. I was like, it's going to happen. It's not going to happen when you expect it necessarily or want it to happen, but it will happen. So he felt better, and uh, you know, he was able to take that information to his friends and say, yeah, what's well, going to happen. But it, it, it reminds me of, like, in some aspects, as a, as a child, we don't understand how timing and the, the events work. But on our own, as adults, we've got it all figured out, right? Yeah, yeah, we got it all figured out. Um, I mean, there are some things that we're pretty good with, but I find in my own life that I don't always um, have a good grasp on timing of things. So um, Ashley and I are working on selling our house. Has anyone here sold a house before? It's tons of fun, right? So obviously we want to get top dollar for our house, so we're like, we're going to invest some sweat equity into the house, and we're going to paint, and we're going to do this, and we're going to kind of gussy it up a bit so it's ready for the next people, and they feel comfortable that they can give us what we want for it. But we're also, combined with the selling, we want to buy a house. Buying a house is fun. This market, not so much, but buying a house is fun. So there's all this like coordination of 
when do we list it? When do we, you know, start seriously looking for our house? We got to get our house ready. So I had crafted a timeline in my own thinker of when this was going to happen. So we made the decision to move forward with the buying and selling process uh, end of February-ish, like that last week or so. We're like, yes, we're going to do this and we're going to go for it. So I was like, you know, we really don't have a lot to do in the house. If we spend every waking moment we have, aside from being at work and school, we can get it done by the end of March. I'm going to tell you something. We are in the end of March. <laughs> and I can tell you something else. We are not done. But, you know, things happen in timelines, and then you start getting into the project, and you're like, ah, this takes a little longer than I thought. I thought I'd be able to knock this out in half a day, and it's like four days later. So <laughs> there's this whole idea of, like, trying to coordinate this. And then when, when you're trying to coordinate and like, understand the timing and get things done, sometimes you get... Um, Frustrated, there comes anxiety and stress. You know, buying a car. When should I? When should I trade in my car and replace it? When should? What, how much should I spend? Um, what about getting a new job? When's a good time to get a new job? When's a good time not to get a new job? Um, all these different things that we that happen in our lives that require, you know, a balance when it comes to executing action for it and then timing of when to do things and trying to figure that out, that's where your stress and anxiety comes in. I don't deal well with stress and anxiety, as in I don't like it. Stress and anxiety I don't want in my, my life because it's stressful. <laughs> um, and, it, and, it, and, the, and as I was thinking about this, it relates to very, very closely to how God works in our lives and the things that he works in our lives, and there's this whole idea of, you know, I want to know how long it's going to take. I want to know how this is going to work out. And then we're, we work through it, and sometimes we get stressed, and there's anxiety and frustration. So the big question I'm going to pose to you guys, so put your thinking caps on. Probably won't take too long for you to come up with something. What is something in your life currently that you are waiting for? Okay, so waiting for an answer to something, waiting for God to um, make a move in your life. What is a situation you have? You don't need to hear it. That's fine. You keep, you keep it to yourself. Um, but what's a situation that you have in your life that's, that you're waiting for, that you're waiting for a resolution on, you're waiting for something? Take a moment, jot it down if you got it. Put it in your thinker. Type it in on your phone. We're going to come back to that later. So as we talk about resting in this timing, we're going to be talking about how when we trust God's timing in our lives, we get to see his purpose and promise. All right, so our text primarily falls in John 7, 1 through 9, and John 13, 1 through 17. Uh, we will not read the whole thing because it's, it's not super long, but it's long enough. So as a little bit of a, a heads up to how this works, um, if you have not started reading John this month, I would encourage you to start reading John because it is a good read. For those who have started and have read it, they can testify that it is a good read. There's a lot of good stuff in there. And um, I had a little trouble when I was trying to read a little bit in between these chapters and before and after. I ended up reading a lot more than I was anticipating. 
because like, wow, this is kind of good, so I just keep reading. I'm like, oh, this is kind of good, so I just keep reading. So, um, so we come on to chapter 6, because that comes before chapter 7 in John. Um, chapter 6, we see Jesus, he feeds the 5,000. He walks on water to the disciples and freaks them out. Um, he teaches throughout the chapter that he's the bread of life. And when he teaches that he's the bread of life, many of his disciples think he has lost his marbles and they abandon him. There's this mass exodus from, from his discipleship group at that point. Um, so then we jump into chapter 7, and Jesus goes to Galilee. When he's in Galilee, it's near the time of the Festival of Shelters, which takes place in Jerusalem, and his brothers tell him, hey, this is a great time for you to reveal yourself as the Messiah. And I put air quotes because his brothers didn't really believe in him. So they're like, this is a great time. If you can do miracles and do all these things, go to Jerusalem and reveal yourself, and this, is, this would be a good thing for you. But Jesus tells him, he says, now is not the right time for me to go, in verse 6, but you can go anytime. The world can't hate you, but it does hate me because I accuse it of doing evil. You go on. I'm not going to this festival because my time has not yet come. And then he stays in Galilee. Later in the chapter, he sneaks, at, sneaks into the party so nobody knows he's there. And then we have John chapter 13. This is just before the Passover celebration that Jesus knew that his hour had come to leave this world and return to his father. So we are in the end game of sorts, you might say, of Jesus' earthly ministry. So, at when it, so they had supper with, he had supper with his disciples, and now when he was done, he gets up from the table, takes his robe off, puts a towel around his waist, gets some water, and starts washing feet. Sound like a good job for, who wants the, the foot washing job? Not a hand up. Fantastic. Um, so just so you know, a little background about washing feet. Back in the day, um, the main mode of transportation for most people was walking. Um, you walked town to town, all over the place. And you had these nice things of roads for walking on. And you know what else traveled on roads that they walked on? Animals. Animals. You know what animals do when they walk from place to place? Business. <laughs> and they're walking on the road with them. So, um, and you know, you know, they didn't have socks and shoes and stuff to keep their feet clean, so their feet ended up getting dirty as they traveled around. Washing feet in a home was something that, a, that the homeowner or host would have their slave do to bless their, their guests. So Jesus decided to take the, the, the job of a slave at this point and wash the feet of his disciples. So as he begins washing their feet, he gets to Peter. And Peter is the you know, Mr. Vocal one. He's like, wait, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Because he sees it coming down the line. And he's like, wait a minute, are you going to wash my feet? And Jesus tells him, you don't understand now what I'm doing, but someday you will. So Peter's like, no, not going to happen. He's like, you will never wash my feet. It, you know, because Peter thinks it's beneath him. That it's beneath Jesus. Jesus replied to him and said, unless I wash you, you won't belong to me. So Peter is like, all right, if that's what it takes, wash my whole body. You know, don't stop at the feet. Wash all of me. So Jesus told him that a person who has bathed all over does not need to wash except for the feet to be entirely clean. As you disciples are clean, but not all of you. 
So then he finishes his job, washes everybody's feet, puts his robe back on, sits down and says, all right, do you understand what I was doing? He says, you call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, because you, that's what I am. And since I, your teacher, Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you ought to wash each other's feet. I have given you an example to follow. Do as I have done to you. I tell you the truth. Slaves are not greater than their master, nor is the messenger more important than the one who sends the message. Now that you know these things, God will bless you for them, for doing them. So out of these two passages, I want to point out three things from, the, from this. First thing I want to note is that Jesus was receiving advice from family. Okay? Who loves their family? Everybody has to raise their hand for that one. You love your family. You love your family. Um, family and people close to you always have opinions, right? Opinions are great. They wanted him to re reveal himself as Messiah at the festival. So because, because of the festival, Jerusalem will be exceptionally crowded. A lot of pilgrims come into the city for the festival. So, that, so from, from their point of view, is that this would have been a great opportunity for Jesus to rebuild his numbers. Because remember, he just got abandoned by a large number of his disciples. So this would have been a good opportunity for him to reveal himself, one, because they didn't believe he actually was who he said he was, and then two, it would have rebuilt his numbers. Um, and from, a, from a, a worldly perspective, that might be sound advice. You know, you're a teacher, and you have all these disciples, and then they, a bunch of them abandon you, and you have this great church event happening over here. It's like, hey, why not go over there, show a couple signs of miracles, get people to believe in you, and then you have this massive uh, following. But the temptation that Jesus faced in this to overrule his timeline, to overrule God's timing for his, for his ministry on earth, um, Jesus did not obviously take advantage of that temptation. And he, he, put, he, he, he said, no, I'm not going to do that, because he knew it wasn't his time yet. It wasn't according to the plan. So we, as people, consistently have voices speaking to us. People we love and appreciate, our family, our friends, people that mean well. We have social media. I don't know if they mean well. And then we have our current culture and the world around us. They're constantly telling us things. Constantly saying, oh, now is the time to do this. I drove by a, uh, a, I have a billboard I drive by on my way, on my way home from work. It's this big billboard, and it's got two wedding bands, and it's part of the word oops. And it says, solving all of your divorce needs. I was like, wow, oops. So we, we have these things that are constantly bombarding us with information, and some of it's good, some of it's not so good, but there's, there's, there's a level of discernment we need with that that doesn't always line up with what God has planned for us. Second thing I want to note is that Jesus continued to work while he was waiting. So between chapter 7 and 13, Jesus, in that time frame, so if Jesus revealed himself at the festival, he would not have been able to do many of the things that he did in the chapters to follow, because it would have it would have changed the timeline of what would have happened. I have no idea. But, but during these chapters, he, he taught people continually. He performed many miracles, and including raising Lazarus from the dead. I don't know how that would have worked out in a different timeline for him. But we can also tend to 
when we're waiting for God to do something in our lives, I don't know about any of you guys, but I know I sometimes tend to just sit and wait. Like, okay, God, do something. And nothing happens. Because what we need to do is that we need to continue doing the work that we know is that we should be doing. Even if it's just simply doing the next right thing, the next the good thing that's in front of us. Because we we know the difference between good and bad, right? Good and evil, more or less. You know, if you see something that's good to be done, somebody that needs help with something, you know to do it. You know, we need to keep doing doing stuff. And because of Je- because of Jesus' relationship to God's plan to God, he, he was able to um, understand his plan. So he knew who he was. Jesus knew who he was, where he came from, what he had, and where he was going. So he was very secure in his relationship with God. And this confidence that he had in who he was allowed him to be the master of his situations when he was here on earth. And then he continued working, through his, working and doing his ministry because he had that relationship with God that, hey, I don't need to worry about revealing myself now because it's not my time. I can continue the work until my time has come. The third thing we're going to note is that his relationship with God and trust in his plan allowed Jesus to do what was necessary when his time came. So when he knew his time had come, he was secure in his role in God's plan and what God had planned for him that he was able to take a moment and teach the disciples a very real lesson about servant leadership. And that not only helped them develop as disciples, but it was also an area that, they, that he knew they needed work in. And we get the benefit of him teaching that lesson to them and teach the lesson to us. So he took it upon himself in his short time, after he knew his time had come, to continue to develop the people around him serving while waiting for God's plan to come to an end. This is why when we trust God's timing in our lives, we get to see his purpose and promise. So, the, so, so now it's, what do we do to rest in God's timing? Because the word doing and rest seem to be counterintuitive. When you rest, what do you do? When I rest, I do nothing. I sit on the couch hopefully fall asleep or take it or watch a movie you know resting implies sitting doing nothing relaxation we are we are good as american folks at sitting but we're very accomplished you guys are doing a great job <laughs> you know but we're we're good at sitting and and rest implies that we're going to sit but there are things we can actually do one thing that we can do is that we can keep a heaven mindset. Now, because of all these voices in our lives and in our circles of influence, they all speak to us, and it can be easy to let these voices kind of distract us from what God has planned for us and what he's doing in our lives. Um, when we are distracted from God's plan, we allow stress and anxiety to rob us of our peace. Um, staying close to God and in his word helps keep us keep our thoughts and our whole mindset in line with what God is doing in our lives and not the wisdom of the world. The wisdom of the world can be useful sometimes, but I would take God's wisdom over that one anytime. So 
by keeping close to God, this in turn brings us a calm and a peace when working through the whole issue of timing in the situation that we're working in. Second thing we can do is we can stay active. As we rest in God's timing, we need to make sure that we are doing the work he has called us to do. It is important to wait and see him work in our lives, but there needs to be action on our part still. Okay, we need to do, no, we need to do that which we know is good. So as, an, as, a, as a little example for that, um, our buying and selling process. There's this whole idea, like when we started, I had this idea of what was gonna happen, okay? If we made that decision, we're gonna sell and buy our house, and then we didn't look at any houses, didn't start any renovation projects, and just continued our lives as usual, we would not get very far very quickly. We would actually pretty much go nowhere. We have to put, we had to actually start doing something. Like we are working on our house with no hope, with no promise of a sell, no promise of a buy. We are working towards that end though. We're trusting the process that it's gonna work. And we're headed that way. Another example is I, what I, so I, I've seen this in various churches um, in my lifetime. Um, I've, I've, I've had people tell me, well, I'm praying to God to provide me a husband. And I was like, oh, that's great. You want a husband. That's fantastic. So what are you doing towards that? I was like, well, I pray every day, and then I go to work, and then I come home. And I do nothing else different. It's going to be very hard to find yourself a husband if you're not making those connections with people, if you're not doing anything, if you're just doing, if you're just sitting at church and sitting at home and then you just keep praying, God, give me a husband, give me a husband, it's going to be very difficult to have any fruit out of that because you're not putting any effort into it. You're praying for it, which is great, but again, there has to be action behind that. We have to work towards what we want. If we get off track, God will redirect us. The third thing that we can do is that we can be an example. Now, this ties directly into us working through our situations and being aware that we are in a, in a community, a church community, a family community, uh, a geographical community that have people around us that some of them are going through the same things that we are going through currently or have gone through in the past. We don't have to be perfect in our trusting of God to be able to help others. So we don't have to be perfect in our trusting of God to help others. As we learn and grow to trust God more, there is somebody near you, near us, that maybe is at the beginning of the trusting journey. You can provide counsel, you can provide encouragement, you can help people that are around you that are going through something like what you are going through. Again, we don't have to be there isn't a prerequisite for it. You just have to be growing. When we are confident in, our, in God's plan and trust him to do something in our lives, it frees us to focus on helping others around us. Like he said in verse 15, I have given you an example to follow. His example was serving others. Do as I have done to you. 
So as, as, as we bring this to a close, um, we're going to reiterate, we can have the worship team come up, that the, when we trust God's timing in our lives, we get to see his purpose and his promise come through. So as we continue this series about awakening our faith during this Easter season, I want you guys to reflect on the example that Jesus has given us to keep a heaven mindset, to stay active, keep doing the work that he's, that, that's in front of you, and be an example, be an encouragement to the people around you. Remember that uh, situation I asked you about in your life that you're waiting for God to do something with or you're waiting for him to have an answer for you? I don't know about you guys, but those kind of situations that cause me stress and anxiety about not being in control of when things are going to happen. Again, I'm not perfect at this, but I'm learning. Giving those situations to God. Listen, this is important to me, this situation, but your timing and your will is more important than the situation. Like Learning to trust and give him the situation. So I'm going to encourage you that whatever situation that is, actively give it to him and then trust him that he's going to do something good he's going to do something good in your life you know because he's our heavenly father and he only knows how to give us good things right I want you to stand with me as we pray dear father we we come to you with our situations lord situations that stress us out, bring anxiety and frustration. Lord, we just, we want to give these to you so that we can, we can trust you. We can focus on what's important. We can focus on doing the good things around us to reach out to the people in our, in our circles of influence that need a helping hand from us. Lord, we ask that you would continue to bring us situations in our lives current and future ones and say, hey, give this to me. Trust me with this so that we can we can we can trust you for the good that you're going to do in our lives. And we ask these things in your name.